Good morning, everyone. We are going to be in the book of First Chronicles this morning in chapter 29. <clears throat> um, that's between Second Kings and Second Chronicles. It's the 13th book of the Bible. Just a little background before we begin. These are the final days of David. Um, he was called, again, from the sheepfold from the beginning. And if you do need a Bible, we have uh, men in the aisles that would be happy to give you one. And if you don't have one, you can take one with you. But we would love for you to follow along with us. So again, these are the final days of David. From the beginning, he was called from the sheepfold as God chooses a king over all of Israel. Samuel the prophet would come to the house of Jess as they choose the king. And Samuel would look at all the different boys that Jess had, and some looked stronger than others, and so Samuel thought that Eliab would be the choice that God would choose, based on his physical stature. But God doesn't see as man does. The Bible declares in 1 Samuel, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so a young man is chosen by God to rule over Israel. Chosen because of his heart. His heart was bent toward the Lord. And so in Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, the scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. And Paul speaks of him in the book of Acts, and he says these words, And afterward they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed them, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jess, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And so later David, in the, some of his exploits and his accounts, he would kill a bear and kill a lion to protect the flock. And he had the faith to stand against Goliath, and yet he would be on the run from King Saul for some eight years. He was a mighty warrior. And the Israelites would sing how Saul had killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And he was a writer of many of the Psalms. He, we see his heart toward God in the midst of the Psalms. In Psalm 18 he writes, With the merciful you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man you will show yourself blameless. With a pure, you will show yourself pure, and with a devious, you will show yourself shrewd. For you are my lamp, O Lord, the Lord shall enlighten my darkness, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. And David would write in Psalm 33, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And although David was a great man, he was just a man. And so this message isn't about a man, but the message is about God. It's about what God can do through the life of a man or a woman who is fully committed to him. One who is consecrated 
to him. And David will say that in First Chronicles 29. Who then, he says, is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Henry Varley, he was a British revivalist. He once said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. D.L. Moody declared, I aim to be that man. With a fifth grade education, he became one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever seen. He was committed to the Lord. Billy Graham and other stories of those who were commit their lives to the Lord, and God still desires to do great things through us. Uh, Jeremiah writes, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And so God still desires to do things through men and women who are committed to him. And David will speak in First Chronicles and says, Our lives are like passing shadows. Fading shadows and gone. James writes, Our lives are they're like vapor in the air. They appear for a time and then vanish. And David writes in Psalm 39, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths, and my age is as nothing before you. <coughs> Certainly every man in his best state is but vapor. Salah. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. And one of the habits and one of the things I do on a daily basis is to look through the obituaries. And maybe that sounds a little morbid, but I try to look at the lives of people in the midst of the obituaries. And you can see some of the things that they, they loved and uh, where they decided to put their time and their talent and their, their, their riches that they had. And you'll see that some love the Phillies or the Eagles or the Flyers, and that can be tough on, to be a Philly fan. <laughs> I've been one for a lot of years. So. But uh, we had a run for a little while there. But <laughs> or you'll see that one was a great mechanic or he loved fishing or, or that she you know, loved to garden and you know, wanted to go to the beach, and her family and her children were the very thing that she lived for. And so an obituary really speaks of a life of a person. And so I look through the obituaries and hope that I would see something about Jesus in the midst of it. And once in a while you'll see something that says of a life that was committed to the Lord Jesus. And finally I look for the church in hopes that it's a Christ-centered church in and, and hopes I don't know their hearts, but that they would be saved. And, and if I see a church that I think is a Bible-based or an evangelical church that teaches the Word of God and that I think they might be saved, I kind of cheer in my heart that I'll see you in heaven one day. And, and so it's a thing that I do each day, but to speak in a snapshot of someone's life and what it means to live and what life is all about. And David, again, he says our lives are like... Fading shadows. And the question is, will we be consecrated to him? And that word consecrated is a word that 
malah in the Hebrew. And in our house, it means a, a lot of different things, malah. We use that word sometimes when things don't work out the way we think they should work out, or, or maybe something's glorious, like a newborn baby, we see them and we, we say that word. But in this case, the word malah means to be at an end of yourself, to expire, like John the Baptist says that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And the word consecrated means to come to an end of yourself. You know, Paul would speak about that in Romans, and he would speak again that we would crucify ourselves. And so that's what we're speaking about today, a life lived for, for God and a life lived for Christ. In the final days of David, and I'll pray as we begin in First Chronicles chapter 29. Father, we thank you that you've given us breath, Lord. You are the one that very that holds our hearts together, Lord, that holds our the breath in our lungs, Lord. You're the one that created all things. You're the maker of heaven and earth, Lord. And we acknowledge those things, Lord, and we ask that you would open our hearts this morning, Lord, that we would understand the love that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ, that he would openly give himself freely for our sins, Lord, and that would be the very thing, Lord, that would drive us or compel us to want to live for you. Lord, we need to hear your voice, Lord. Prepare our hearts, open them, Lord, that we would hear you, the living God, that may be a manifestation of your power and your spirit, God, that you would be glorified in this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. First Chronicles chapter 29, I'll read from 1 through 15. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for a man, but before the Lord God. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze. Iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones in marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. My own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leader of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced 
greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you. And of your own we have given you, for we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. And just to recap verses 1 and 2, I'll read them again further. More, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver, for things of silver, bronze, for things of bronze, iron, for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. And so David was unable to build the temple. God had told him because he had blood on his hands. He was a warrior and had gone into battle many different times. And First Kings, the scripture says, you know how, God, how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God, because of the wars which were fought against him on every side, until the Lord put his foes under the soles of his feet. And so David couldn't build the house of the Lord. God told him that his son would be the one that would build it. And so Solomon would be the one that would build the house of God. However, this did not stop David from collecting all the materials that would be needed to put this great house together. The things that David saw as important, his resources, you know, what he did with his resources. Jesus would say in the New Testament, he would say, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, listen, there your heart will also be. And so David's heart was right before God. And we can examine our lives and see where our time and our talents and our resources are being poured into. And we can take inventory of those things. And if we honestly sit down one by one, each of us, myself included, and see where is my time going? Where are my resources going? Where is my talent going? And in this case, David was giving all that he had at an old age to build the house of God. And the temple was for God. It wasn't for man. And so David took these things seriously, and he also had a heart that wanted to give all that he had with the understanding that everything belongs to God. And the scripture says he prepared with all his might. He had actually purchased that temple mount earlier, 
if you were to look in Second Samuel, you'll see when he stands before the uh, Arunah, he says, Then the king said to Arunah, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And so the very mount that the Jews and the Muslims now argue over, David had purchased at one point the threshing floor where the temple had sat on. And one day we know that uh, Jesus is coming again and he will stand on the, the Mount of Olives and they will be split in two and he's coming again to rule and reign and but this mount David had bought because he wanted the sacrifice to be something of himself. His time and his talent for the house of God. In verse 3 and 4, moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses. And sometimes we look at these, these great amounts, these talents. What exactly does that mean? And so as I looked them up, uh, you would see that a talent weighs about 95 pounds. And if we were to look at gold in these days, it's worth about $13 an ounce. And just to give you an idea, there's 16 ounces in a pound. <clears throat> and so that would be... Roughly $6 billion worth of gold that was used from David to build the house of God. Paul writes in Colossians, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died. Remember the word malah, consecrate? You died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And so if we are raised with Christ, then we are to fix our eyes on things that are above, right? But we can easily become involved with the things on this earth. We can, you know, have the one foot in the world and the one foot for Christ. And uh, like we're doing the hokey pokey, we'll <laughs> come in and out and the... And, uh, and part of us wants to live for God, but the other part is concerned with all the things that are on this earth. And, and sometimes we can be overcome with all those things. But Paul is writing that we're dead with Christ now. And a dead man doesn't have his own agenda. doesn't have his own wishes, but he just lets Christ live through him. We died. And, and so the question for me... And, and to all of us here is, uh, have we died? Is that what happened to us in Christ? Did we die and, and is Christ now living through us? And that's what Paul would say in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. Crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I ask, Lord, is my life crucified to you? Do I honor you, Lord, each day? Do I live for you, Lord, or do I still have my own agenda, Lord? Maybe it's a good agenda, but is it my agenda or is it yours, Lord? You know, we could go on the way we are. You know, we'll make it to heaven. We're born again, born of the Spirit. 
But we won't see God work mightily through our lives until we finally commit ourselves to Him. No longer my own agenda, no longer my own will. And Jesus would say this in John, recorded in John 5, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. And Jesus is saying, I did nothing of myself. I can do nothing of myself. Yet many times our lives speak of the world. And we are not dead to the world. In verse 5, David goes on and says, The gold for things of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Who is ready to consecrate themselves to the Lord? To be given fully. And who is ready to be at an end to themselves, to follow the Lord fully and to show full obedience to him. And that is what David is asking in the midst of First Chronicles 29. Who then is ready to consecrate themselves to the Lord. And God is asking that to us and speaking to us about these things. Are you ready to commit yourself to me and see what I'll do with a life who is fully committed to me? In Second Chronicles 16, the scripture says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And so God will work through the one who is yielded and fully submitted to him. I spoke a little earlier about a man named D.L. Moody. When Henry Varley said, It remains to be seen what God will do with a man who gives himself up wholly to him. And D.L. Moody heard those words and says, I want to be that man. I want to be the one that's fully committed to God. And that's what David is saying to each one of us here. Moody decided, he purposed in his heart like Daniel, that he was going to be that man. And God is not going to move the things that he has upon you unless we're yielded and submitted unto him. And many times the things that God had planned for our lives, they don't just happen. It's not like a case, sarah, sarah, but it comes in a heart that finally says, Lord, I understand that you have great plans for me. And Lord, I want those plans to come to fruition in my life. And then life becomes committed to God. God used Moody, D.L. Moody greatly. Moody had a fifth grade education, but he presented himself to God. And the world marveled in over a 40-year period, recorded over one million professions of faith in Christ, while Moody preached all over the world. Three Christian schools, the Moody Bible Institute, and still the Moody Church in Chicago, they're still preaching over the airwaves now. You can listen to them down the shore here. here and, uh, but what God did through the man, it's not the man that we're giving glory to, but what, it, what God is doing through a man who is committed to him. And God is desiring to do that now. And there are others that God has used mightily. George Mueller was a man who believed that God still did great and mighty things. And so he prayed and he built orphanages and took care of thousands of children. Not because of who he was, but because of who God is. 
And David Wilkerson, a man from Pennsylvania, heard God's call and went up to New York City and began to interact with gangs in New York. And, and, uh, and through that, God raised up Teen Challenge, and they're all over the world now, ministering to teens and breaking the bondage of drugs and alcohol and through the power of God. And God wants to do great things. And we need to know that and believe that God still desires to do those things. And, and a man named Nicky Cruz, who was a gang member, later became a great man of God and goes all through the earth testifying of what God did in his life. He was a murderer. But now he was, became a child of living God, living for him only. Like Saul of Tarsus, he threatened the, 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 the people of the way and and God stopped him on and knocked him off a horse and revealed himself to him and he became a great man of God. And the one thing that all of these people, the Esters, the one that says that I'll, if I perish, I'll perish, but I will stand in the faith and believe that God will do great things, had one thing in common. And that one thing is that they were wholly committed to God. They were wholly committed. They purposed in their hearts to serve the living God. And God did all the work and they just presented themselves. And that's why Paul speaks in Romans chapter 12. He says, I beg you, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service. And so they did. They presented themselves. And so my question to myself and now to you today is what about us? Will we continue to be half in the world and half with God? Or, or, or will we continue to have our own agendas and still claim Christ? Or will we be like Jesus said? He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny myself. Deny myself. Take up my cross. Luke 14 says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot, listen, cannot be my disciple. And we say in our hearts that Jesus can't really mean that. He can't mean that we would forsake everything and deny ourselves and take up our cross. Yeah, he does. And that's what he's asking us to do. In the early church, there were 11 men and a small group of women that, that turned the world upside down. The whole entire world they turned upside down because they believed that God wanted to do a great work. I'm crucified with Christ. Verse 6, And the leaders of the Father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord, into the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. And so, in the midst of this, we see the word willingly numerous times. They offered willingly and they rejoiced. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that 
Let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves that. And the word cheerful is the word hilarious. And guess what word comes from that? <laughs> Hilariously. God loves one who gives hilariously. Hilariously. He doesn't, you know, that you would just give to all those that, that are in need around you. That you wouldn't be tied to the very funds that you have in your pocket. I once heard a pastor say that, you know, your heart's circumcised but not your wallet. <laughs> so, but we're talking about yourself and your time and your talents and your resources. And Jesus says wherever that treasure is, that's where your heart is. They offered willingly. And so they were hilarious givers, and God loves a hilarious giver. And so the people had a loyal heart toward God. And their treasures and their hearts, they were with God. And again, the, Jesus says, wherever your treasure is there is your heart also. And he's speaking of your talents and your time and your energy and your certainly you, <clears throat> your goods and what you have. Verses 10 through 12, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. The, the power yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And so David blesses God. You are our father forever, he says. You are the one who is great. You are the almighty. The victory and the majesty are yours. And so God is our provider. And one of his names is Yahweh Yireh in the Hebrew. You're our rear guard and you're our strong tower, Lord. You're the banner that flies over this flock and our homes and the, the, our loved ones, Yahweh Nisi. And James writes that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so David begins to worship the Father because of who he is and what he has done. In verse 13, Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. And David acknowledges that everything belongs to God. David would record that in Psalm 24. He says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness the earth and those who dwell therein. And everything we have comes from God. And we sang about how the very breath that we have in our lungs comes from him. And so he's given us all that he loved in Jesus when he sent him. Jesus was the one who rested in his, his arms before the foundations of the world. And so how would we withhold anything from him? All good things come down from him. The Father of lights. Verse 15, For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. Like aliens and pilgrims. And so Peter writes in First Peter, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. 
this isn't our home. You know, we're just passing through here for a certain point of time. And one day we'll be face to face with the Lord. And the scripture says, now we look through a glass darkly, but then we will see him face to face. And Paul says that our citizenship is not of this world. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, we are in the world, but we're not of it. He said, don't set your affections on this world, the love of this world, but let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's what David is saying. Our days on earth are as a shadow or a passing shadow, quickly gone like vapor in the air, and gone so fast. And I was thinking today we had our all of our children in the house this week, and my older son and his wife and and my other son from California and his girlfriend and everyone was in the house and I was just thinking about the way things were when they were little and uh, we would ride on our bikes and I'd have them on the back of my bicycle and uh, we'd just, I'd just be lo- riding along and I would, there would be this thump on my back and it would be their heads as they fell asleep on the, the back of the bicycle and, uh, and all the wagon rides we took uh, all around we would go to hardware stores and get airplanes and uh, just all the memories of what happened when they were little and uh, <clears throat> we were on the boardwalk in Ocean City and I remembered how they were in those little boat rides and they would ride around in the water and ring the bell and, and we'd be on the carousel trying to get the rings and all those things and all of this of life of, with uh, these children and how fast it's going and now one's married and the other's in college and, and my daughter's in the, the final year of high school and my son is entering high school and just how fast life goes and I pray that we get this that we understand that life is quick and it's fast but that we can live for Christ and that's the message today and it's not too late it's never too late Moses didn't start till he was 80 he was in the back of the desert for 40 years and, 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 it's, a, and it's a message of encouragement it's an exhortation to live for him we have one life that's it. And one day we'll stand before him and, and we'll speak of that life that God gave us in the light of what he's given in his son. O Lord our God, verse 16, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for, the holy, for your holy name is from your hand and it's all your own I know also my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness as for me in the uprightness of my heart I have willingly offered all these things and now with joy I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you O Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Israel Our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. And David realizes that everything comes from God. That we would be hilarious. It all belongs to him. I mean, I don't own my house. I don't own anything. It all comes from him. The people that stand on their grounds and great real estate magnets believing that they own the ground that they have, it's not theirs. 
Everything belongs to God. The earth and the fullness belong to Him. And so God tests the heart. Jeremiah the prophet, he writes, But you, O Lord, know me. You've seen me. And you've tested my heart toward you. God knows our hearts and our motives. Again, Jeremiah the prophet, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so what, let what we do be done in love. If we do outreach, let us do it in love, not to you know, make great names for ourselves, but let us do it in love for others. Let us do it in love for God. And as we go out, that we would honor the living God. And we don't even serve the people that we're going to see, but we're serving the living God. That's who we represent. And so we need to have love. And so Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if we don't have love, we don't have, we have nothing. Even if you give your body to be burned, we have nothing. It doesn't profit you if you don't have love for others. Jesus would say this is the very thing that would mark us. Love one another as I have loved you. This is how all men will know that you're my followers. And so David's heart was right before God. He gave hilariously. The people had as well. And at one uh, account of the scriptures, it says they gave so much that they had to tell him to stop. And David prays that the people would always remember. And he prays an amazing prayer where he says, God, keep these things in their hearts. Fix their hearts toward you. And then he would do that work in our hearts to keep us connected to you. For all of us, you know, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. And so God has pleasure in uprightness, that we would do that which is right in his eyes, right? In Micah, the prophet writes, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as father, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then he finally prays for his son Solomon. Give my son a loyal heart that is true to you. Shalem, a heart that is devoted to you, God. And many of us have children, and we've prayed for our children. We've seen God do works in their hearts that we could never do. But understanding that God is able to do all things, that the prodigals and bring them in. But we want our children to have hearts towards God. We want them to love them with all, love God with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And so I want to encourage people here to keep praying for their children. I remember one time I was standing at the mission and there was a woman there who had married a man and she hadn't gotten saved while she was married and some 30 years she prayed for her husband to be saved and continued to pray faithfully and that day that night she was in at the mission to speak her husband was standing with her and he had become saved because God had his grace and mercy and saved her husband but for 30 years she prayed for him and the prayers of a father or a mother for their children like a Lois and a Eunice that, David, that Paul speaks about to Timothy. Remember that, Timothy. How your grandmother and mother prayed for you and taught you the word of God. And so I want to encourage people to continue to do that with their children. 
to speak the words of life to their children's hearts. Verse 20, Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. And they began to worship and praise and for all that he had done. And ultimately true worship results in a life that's lived for God. Jesus said, If you love me to keep my commands and if you love me to keep my words. And, and then he gives a great promise. He says, If anyone loves me, He will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so we cannot say that we love God and walk in outright rebellion to him. Jesus said the world would know his love for the Father by his obedience to him. John 14, 31, But that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. And so for all of us to honor God with living in a way that brings him honor and glory because Christ emptied himself for us he gave his life willingly for us and the scripture says he loved us first and while we're at, we're at our worst the scripture says Christ died for us while we were sinners and so the love that Christ has for us should be the very thing that drives us to want to live for him And so they worshipped and they offered up sacrifices. They celebrated in the first Chronicles. They ate and drank before the Lord. And Solomon sat on the throne as king instead of David. And move down to verse 26. Thus David the son of Jess reigned over all Israel. And the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. And 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor, and Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer. With all his reign and his might, and the events that happened to him, to Israel, and to all the kingdoms of the lands. And so David's reign and life come to an end. He reigned for over 40 years over Israel. And he died in a good old age full of days and riches and honor. And so what might the obituary of David say if we were to see it? A man after God's own heart. He was not perfect. He made mistakes in his life. Some that were were grave, but he was a man who was committed to God. And the message was he was consecrated to God. And he was used mightily by God for his glory. And so as we close this morning, remember what Mr. Varley said, that the world has not seen what God will do with a man or a woman who is fully committed to him. D.L. Moody said, I aim to be that man. And my question to all of us this morning is what about us? What about us? And I want to encourage you to live for Christ and while there's still time to live for the one that died and rose again. Will you commit yourself to him to live for the living God? Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me while I pray?